Do you ever find yourself in an awkward moment trying to decide how to pronounce F-U-N-G-I? Like, tomorrow I'm going to the DIY Homesteader Festival for a cool workshop on fungi. So, is it fungi or fungi or something else? Find out in our upcoming talk with local fungi expert Tom Nagy. Chris, your host of the Rooted Podcast by DIY Homesteader Festival, cultivating community with farmers, producers, makers, and you. Thanks for digging in with us. Today, we're chatting with ecologist, field botanist, spawn producer, and self-professed instigator Tom Nagy of River City Mushrooms. Tom has a passion for botany and mycology and has worked as an organic farmer, field botanist, and environmental consultant. He advocates for a greater understanding and appreciation of how we interact with the natural world by writing thoughtful and engaging articles and conducting public programs discussing native plant communities, sustainable agriculture, mushroom cultivation, and wild foraging for edible and medicinal plants and fungi. Tom currently works as a commercial craft brewer for Barnhammer Brewing Company in Winnipeg in order to support his mycelial endeavors and other community building projects. Let's talk with Tom and see what takes root. So uh, thanks, Tom, for joining us today. And uh, I have to tell you a quick little kind of family joke. We've been joking around a bit about potential podcast jingles. And one of our favorites was to the tune of Let's Get Physical. And uh, so it was Let's Get Mycelial. And so that's <laughs> That's <house>. great. <laughs> but I figured you might be one of the few people on the planet who would truly appreciate it. So I had to share it with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to change that. That's the aim of the game, to get more people to appreciate that and that joke as well. Awesome. So, yeah, I guess in a nutshell, can you share with us your journey to mushroom cultivation and what that all looked like, how you got interested in it and came to be where you are today? Oh, of course. Well, basically, it all started out um, just as a natural curiosity. Uh, I get that question a lot. People wondering sort of how I got interested in mushrooms and mycology and mushroom cultivation and wild foraging and that whole sort of like universe that surrounds uh, mushrooms and fungi. And it's not like it really happened at one specific time. If anything, I always sort of felt like I was predisposed to having a particular interest and just being like enthusiastic and curious about the natural world. And I was more drawn to plants and mushrooms and sort of the things that maybe don't really get a whole lot of attention and, and maybe a lot of people think as like stag stagnant or boring or not as exciting as birds and animals and, and that sort of thing. But for one reason or another, I was always incredibly passionate and interested about learning about what they are, how they behave, the relationships that they have with us, um, how we're affecting them, how they're affecting us, um, and sort of that whole like nutshell of topics. And uh, I'm formally trained as an ecologist, and so I'm more... Um, I guess, familiar or my, my roots sort of stem from an interest in botany and sort of like the taxonomic aspect of plants and uh, how they're related to each other, um, the sort of like, I guess, like intimate classification of them and, and how we view them and how we sort of categorize them. A number of years ago, I also worked as a field manager at an organic farm. And so I got to see sort of the practical aspect of plants. Um, and so I'd like to think that I have a pretty well-rounded sort of a appreciation of them from working as a field botanist in a herbarium for a number of seasons and so getting to see that sort of scientific side of plants but then also getting to work with them directly like in the field and getting a practical view of um, like the medicinal purposes of plants or the medicinal uses of plants and just growing them for food and for sustenance and so that's mm -hmm. all of that how all of that works and I'm sure as a lot of appreciators of nature and gardeners can appreciate, um, it's very difficult to look at one aspect of nature and not 
simultaneously at everything else because everything is so interconnected. And so when I started to look at plants, or if when anyone starts to look at plants, you're also simultaneously looking at uh, soil conditions, uh, geology, you're looking at prey and predator relationships, you're looking at what's eating the plants, um, whether it's, yeah, like insects or animals. And uh, at one point, I just sort of became interested in the relationship that plants have with fungi and mushrooms and uh, decomposition and sort of like the making of soil. And so I started to look at uh, mushrooms a little bit more intimately just to sort of see like what, what they were all about and learning about the different species that I could go out into fields and forests and wetlands and even just in my local parks or what's what's growing on the boulevard in between the road and the sidewalk sort of thing and just sort of, uh, yeah, see, seeing what I can see and learning what I can. And then at one point I discovered that, oh, you can actually grow these. And it's not just necessarily the ones that people are super duper familiar with, like the um, the uh, white button mushroom and the cremini and the portobello um, mushrooms, but you can grow oyster mushrooms and wine capstropharia and chestnut mushrooms and lion's mane and all of these, this plethora of super diverse and delicious and interesting species. And um, even that sort of evolved into me um, developing sort of an advocacy um, because a number of years ago, if you would have asked me that I would be getting up in front of people and uh, doing any sort of lecturing or public speaking or leading like hands-on workshops on anything, let alone mushroom cultivation, I would have thought that you were crazy. I did not see myself as a sort of uh, person that, that would have like the confidence and to be able to accumulate enough knowledge that I would feel comfortable actually offering suggestions and telling people what to do. And so if anything, I have mushrooms and fungi to thank for that about helping to really discover that part of myself. And so I owe a lot to them. And it was just that no one was really speaking on behalf of them either. That it's like, wow, like people can grow mushrooms just like they can grow vegetables and fruit, but no one is doing it. And what I discovered was that the main reason that no one is doing that is just simply because no one knows that you can. And so that's sort right. of where I am right now getting into the teaching and the, um, the advocacy of, uh, of um, yeah, giving people the option that that's something that they can do, that growing mushrooms is something that they can do on top of foraging for them and appreciating them and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, to make a short story very long, that's sort of how <laughs> I got to, to where I am right now. Wow, I love that. It's kind of like how people say chickens are the gateway farm animal. It was like your curiosity about the natural world led you down this wonderful rabbit hole all the way to mushroom cultivation. It's pretty neat. Can you give listeners um, the most basic checklist of materials that someone would need to try their hand at mushroom cultivation? Certainly. I advocate for learning from as many different sources as possible. And this includes getting your hands on, uh, there's a surprising diversity of books that have been published more recently than in the past that have to do with mushroom cultivation. Um, and uh, there's also a lot of different websites and uh, even on social media, Instagram and Facebook, there's a lot of uh, really active groups of uh, mushroom cultivators out there that um, it's one of those things where there's hundreds, if not thousands of members. And if you post a photo or ask a question, you'll have like 10 people answering it within like 15 to 20 minutes sometimes. And so uh, really it can seem daunting at first, but there is a large interconnected community out there that that wants to support what you're doing because they believe in the cause and they too at one point were yearning for answers and had lots and lots of questions and so there's so many different ways to do exactly the same thing and there's very few instances where there's only one way to do something but over time, just like with, and, and I'm going to use this example over and over because it really is so comparable, but it's just like gardening. Like there isn't only one way to grow tomatoes or zucchini or um, medicinal plants or anything like that. Like there's so many different ways. And so if anything, it's not so much 
the information itself, but it's the bulk and the diversity of, uh, of information that's out there that, that I really encourage people to, to reach out as much as you can, to, to learn as many ways that you can do that one thing that you want to do as you can before starting out. Mm-hmm. That sounds like great advice. Um, that leads me to another question that's related. I recently heard another mushroom cultivation expert say that there really are no hard and fast rules for growing your own mushrooms. So based on what you just said, do you wholeheartedly agree with that? Or do you feel like there maybe are one or two pretty strict rules? It really depends on how deep you want to go into this. If you're just someone that wants to grow a few mushrooms in your backyard seasonally, it's very, very straightforward and very, very easy, especially if you're going with the oysters, the wine caps and some of the more resilient species that don't require a lot of substrate or material preparation beforehand. But if you do want to diversify, um, then, um, yeah, then you will have to become a little bit more acquainted with some, some a bit, some, uh, I guess, more um, sophisticated details. Mm-hmm. OK, thank you. All right. So you have been doing this for quite a while. Back when you were starting out or even maybe recently, do you have any stories of mishaps with mushroom cultivation or even wild harvesting? Oh, for sure. Um, For instance, like, um, yeah, when I was just starting out growing mushrooms, the very first experiment that I ever did was I grew a a five-gallon plastic bucket uh, full of uh, oyster mushroom spawn in a uh, yeah in the bucket that was full of coffee grounds uh, like pure coffee grounds nothing else hmm. um, my brother at the time worked at a second cup and so I got him to basically save a morning's worth of coffee for me and he comes home with this big trash bag full not thinking that uh, of course a, a coffee shop is going to go through an absolutely ludicrous amount of coffee in a single morning and so being a little bit maybe uh, over enthusiastic I decided to just yeah, we'll just try the whole thing. Um, And so I put in about uh, the standard unit of uh, five pounds of uh, oyster mushroom spawn into the bucket and mixed in the coffee grounds and uh, just covered it very loosely with, I think it was just like a piece of saran wrap, whatever I could sort of find lying around that would be able to to, to cover the top and to hold in moisture because I didn't actually have a lid, which would have been the ideal situation. And uh, yeah, so I left it in the basement And uh, a week and a half later, I checked on it and the top was covered in beautiful, thick white mycelium. And so I got really, really excited. And I I took it upstairs um, where it would get a little bit more light because mushrooms need at least indirect light, not bright, direct, sunny, sunny light, but a a little bit of light in order to develop properly. And so I I brought it upstairs and put it by the window where it wasn't going to get any direct light. And I opened it up got a spray bottle and, and misted it uh, whenever I sort of remembered about it. And I got a fairly decent size yield uh, from the first flush of, uh, of the mushrooms that came up. However, after that initial flush, I noticed that the entire surface over the over the course of maybe three to four days turned from a nice white fluffy like mycelial layer to a mixture of green and blue and turquoise and very interesting assortment of colors. And, and now that I know that a lot of that was probably uh, a species or a complex of uh, molds known as trichoderma, um, which is a common contaminant. Um, and uh, yeah, so so that that went south pretty quick uh, after that. And I think that was just because I was not very clean at all. And I did not really know, uh, for instance, that coffee grounds, while they're very rich in nitrogen and an excellent amendment to a substrate mixture for going uh, particularly oyster mushrooms, they make a very poor substrate in in their entirety just because they're very dense and very wet um and so it's almost like it's too nutritious and too rich and so other molds other just ambient fungi that 
are in the air around us at all times can get in there, gain a foothold and outcompete the fungus that we want to be growing, which in my case was, was the oyster mushrooms. And so I can't be too hard on myself because that was the very first time that I'd ever tried to grow it. And uh, certainly it wouldn't be unreasonable for the first time that you ever try to do something to not necessarily think that you're going to absolutely do it the best that you possibly could. And uh, I would like to think that I've learned a few things since then and had uh, numerous more uh, successes. But um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that anecdote with everyone. I'm sure that it'll help everyone to feel a little less intimidated to start out knowing that someone has gone before them and had some mishaps. So are there some common myths about mushroom cultivation that you can share with everyone? Yes, yes, I can. The main one being is that you can't do it or that there is a reason that mushroom cultivation is not something that a lot of people do. And like like I said at the beginning of this podcast, it's really the main reason for that is just that people don't know that you can do it. There was there still are not very many people sort of uh, letting people know that it's that it's something that um, that can be done. Um, and also one of the things about growing um, fungi and mushrooms that's a little bit different from plants is that with plants, you don't really need to be so concerned about cleanliness and sterility. With mushrooms, because you're working with a fungus, just like you can have weeds in like plant weeds in your garden when you're trying to grow vegetables, you can have weed fungi growing in the substrate mixture that you're trying to grow the mushrooms or the species that you want to flourish. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that people don't or may not initially understand uh, right away is that you do need to be careful because there's spores, bacteria, microorganisms, invisible things floating in the air on, all, on our bodies, on our hands, on all of the surfaces. And that's just something to be aware of that basically what you're trying to do is you, is you want to cultivate one particular fungus and exclude all of the others. And so in order to do that, depending on the species, there's various uh, sort of techniques that you can use to um, basically give the, the fungus that you want to grow, the mushrooms that, that you want to cultivate, the upper hand to give them an edge over, uh, over competition. And so an example that I can provide for that is a common substrate for uh, oyster mushrooms is to use straw. And this can be wheat straw, barley straw, rice straw, any grain, any cultivated grain straw. Um, as a side note, I actually did an experiment a number of years ago. And I just uh, in the fall, I harvested wild like grass stalks from a fallow field and I pasteurized them which is a technique that can be used um, for uh, for like wheat straw or barley straw as well, which is essentially just chopping them up. Um, not super fine, but like fine enough that you're not dealing with like foot, two foot long stalks, like nice small pieces and just packing them into a pot and filling the pot with a little bit of water like you're going to steam vegetables or something and essentially just steaming them for an hour, hour and a half or two hours. And that what that does is that kills most but not all of the microorganisms on that material so that when you mix in your mushroom spawn or your, your, your mushroom seeds to that material, you've eliminated the majority of the competition. And so the mycelium that you're introducing into that represents the vast majority of the life form that has access to that material. And so even though there might be a little bit of something else still left on there, the sheer volume of the oyster mushroom mycelium in comparison to everything else is just under mo most circumstances will just completely overwhelm anything that's there. And in, in regards to the experiment that I did, I was basically able to determine that it doesn't need to be wheat or barley straw or anything like that. If you have a fallow field that you don't cut throughout the summer um, and just allow it to grow tall and then harvest that when it's all nice and dry using whatever means is necessary, whether you're just going out there with hedge clippers like I did or you have a scythe or some sort of machine that can do that maybe a little bit more efficiently, 
to cut all that grass down and pasteurize it, you can essentially grow your own substrate for the oyster mushrooms to grow on, um, which I thought was a, was a, a pretty worthwhile sort of undertaking just to verify that it could be done and that literally this material abounds in fallow fields around and that this isn't necessarily something that you even have to go out and buy like a bale of, of mm-hmm. wheat straw or anything like that, that that this is something that literally anyone could go out and get for free if if they wanted to um but yeah getting back to the <laughs> the specific question that yeah so one of the things yeah that, that some people um initially might uh not think about when growing mushrooms is that you do need to be a little bit clean and um, and think about sterility and pasteurization and those sorts of techniques because you're working with a fungus and fungi are all around us and you don't want to grow any of the weed fungi you want to grow what you set out to do right that makes sense And I love that you addressed two myths because you also talked about your experiment. And I love that it offers a closed loop kind of approach for rural homesteaders and that even urban homesteaders can probably find some spaces around to go out and find some of the grasses that they can harvest. Would you recommend against harvesting things that have been sprayed or anything like that? From my own experience, I haven't found that, for example, yeah, straw that is produced conventionally um, and may have been um, exposed to different pesticides or herbicides or even uh, fungicides, just pesticides in in general as an umbrella term. um, I haven't really found that they make that much of a difference. That being said, I would definitely encourage if it's possible to get organically grown um, straw, um, like if there's a local source, for example, um, I would definitely recommend trying to get that if possible. But I have grown using conventional straw and haven't necessarily seen any um, anything that would indicate that it's not suitable. However, I have not necessarily done a side-by-side comparison either, and undeniably straw that hasn't been treated with anything, um, as long as it's pasteurized and, and treated in that, in, in that way to uh, kill off a lot of just the like ambient spores and whatnot that are going to be present on that material after it's harvested, um, as long as that's done, that if anything, I would hypothesize that it would probably yield a little bit better because straw that has been applied or um, has been exposed to fungicides, pesticides of all sorts, Um, is likely going to have to, like that mycelium is going to have to fend with any sort of residue that might be on there. And so, I mean, use whatever you can get. Um, This isn't necessarily something, yeah, that it's like, oh, you have to go out there and find like organic straw, for example. Okay, thank you. Um, Earlier, you mentioned that there's a really fantastic network of support Uh, online, on social media, in groups on Facebook and stuff like that. Can you also recommend your favorite book or website for people who are interested in getting started? Oh, yes. Um, Okay, so which book? Which book? (laughs) Um, Probably... Probably the one that I would recommend for beginners and hobbyists that are thinking about growing mushrooms in their backyard, incorporating it into their local landscape. For someone that, like myself, at the very beginning was just interested in like, hey, how can I grow mushrooms in my yard using techniques that I'm already familiar with with gardening? If that's you, Mm -hmm. then I would recommend uh, a book called Mycelium Running by Paul Stamets. It has a very holistic, down-to-earth, very digestible and readable approach to growing mushrooms that doesn't intimidate. It doesn't make it overly complicated. Um, It's very uh, holistic in a way. Like if uh, you're familiar with... um, 
the uh, sort of like ethos and um, techniques with uh, permaculture, then this molds perfectly into that whole uh, perspective of uh, increasing your local biodiversity, increasing your uh, your like nutritional diversity, the foods that you're consuming, the different organisms that you have that are growing and living in your local environment. Um, yeah, it really speaks to all of those things and recommends um, that book talks about a number of different species, techniques for growing. It's just a good way to introduce yourself into the thought process that goes on with growing mushrooms. And so if you can get through that book and are, er, are and are yearning to learn more, then uh, I, I think that, that uh, yeah, that mushroom growing is, <laughs> is going to be trouble in the sense that it's going <laughs> to be something that you might want to get lost a little bit in, uh, which undoubtedly happened uh, to myself. Um, and as far as a website would go, probably one of the ones, especially recently, and this is just because uh, I just found it relatively recently, was um, a company um, out of Alberta called Fresh Cap Mushrooms. And uh, that company is owned by a, a couple called, uh, their names are uh, Tony and Tegan. Um, the Fresh Cap Mushrooms website is an absolute library of information. I've learned a lot of new techniques and just perspectives from reading upon the experiments that they've done with growing um, mostly oyster mushrooms, but also uh, shiitake mushrooms, uh, king oyster mushrooms, um, enoki mushrooms, and, and some other more like, uh, I guess I could say like specialty species that require a little bit of uh, practice and experience in order to master and grow uh, proficiently. Um, they also have a YouTube channel and a uh, podcast um, that you can listen to where they interview uh, mushroom foragers, cultivators from all over Canada and the United States. And so really, like if you're someone that wants to learn a lot fairly quickly, um, then they have quite a wealth of knowledge already available online that you can access. But also um, for someone that maybe wants to get a little bit more in depth, how to uh, how to build a laminar flow to do uh, like petri dish work to have a culture library to grow like uh, basically almost any species that you want really depending on uh, yeah how transfixed you, you get with uh, with this whole idea this whole universe of, of uh, mushroom growing and so really the information on there is perfect for beginners all the way to uh, like well seasoned and so um, yeah I definitely recommend to check them out if you had to choose just one forever, would you choose mushroom hunting or mushroom cultivation? I would choose mushroom cultivation for sure. For sure. I'll ask you why. I have to ask why. Okay. <laughs> why? <laughs> it's supposed to be quick, but oh. I have to know. Hmm. I would choose mushroom cultivation because you can grow what you want, where you want it. And it preserves the natural diversity that exists in nature. And you can grow, if you get good at it, then you can essentially forecast and grow certain species for when you want them. And it fits in with the whole pleasure of learning about something it's seeing it develop like the sort of like um yeah the, the the intimacies of how it becomes what it is um just like planting a seed and then harvesting a fruit or a vegetable from that it's just like it's it's a totally different experience than going out into nature and just and just essentially happening upon what nature has already created, that you're taking an active role in that. And so I think for me, that's more of sort of a, a, a passionate um, process that I, that I don't think that I would be as satisfied with if I were to uh, exclusively forage. All right. There's a lot of good points in there. I'm going to have to think about that one for myself and maybe okay. <laughs> put, it, put it out on Instagram and see, do a little poll and see what people say. That would be They're, a very it, good question because <laughs> it, it is, it is tough. Yeah. I've been keeping an eye out around the house here for some morels, but I haven't seen any yet. Last year I put on a bee suit because I'm the crazy city person here in, in the country. 
and I don't like ticks. So I have a bee suit and I put it on and I went deep into the forest looking for morels. And I found about five after maybe two hours of looking around. Came home, was talking with Mike about the mushrooms and we had some company over, I think. And we were standing right by the house, like just right by the door kind of thing. And he was like, oh, like these? And he looked down by his feet and... (laughs) There are about four giant morel mushrooms growing, right? There's a little poplar forest kind of right by our house, and there were some right there. So oh, that you don't always have fantastic. to go as far as you think. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that is great. That is an absolute dream right there yeah. to just have them show, like, to come to you pretty exactly. much to show yeah. up. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't have a lot of time right now to be going deep into the forest doing explorations because I'm working on the festival and other stuff in life in general. But I do have time to just walk outside the door along that path and see if I can find any again this year. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that really is. I mean, you're you're in the yeah. perfect sort of environment for it. They love poplar woods, especially without uh, too much of like um, too much undergrowth. Um, like too much like shrubby material or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so if it's a nice sort of like clear stand of poplars, then uh, yeah, they should be popping up pretty soon. I haven't found any, but um, I found a species called, uh, it's a little black mushroom that basically just kind of looks like a little, um, it's almost like a bag where it has like sides and it's hollow in the center and it's called devil's urn and it's black. Mm. And that is uh, not necessarily a choice edible or anything like that, but it fruits right around the same time and in the similar environments to morels. And so that's a really good indicator species to look for. And so even if you don't find morels, but if you find some of those, Uh, check back in a few days or a week or wait for a more thorough rain and go back to that place because, uh, yeah, more often than not, they they grow in the same sorts of places. Great. I'll keep an eye out and I'll look them up in one of my books. So next quick question. We didn't do a great job of making that quick, but that's okay. That was my (laughs) fault. (laughs) So uh, I think I already know the answer or part of the answer to this one based on our conversation so far. But is it fungi or fungi? And is there a definitive pronunciation or are there two camps? As far as I know, there is not a conclusive pronunciation. I have heard lots of people say fungi, fungi, fungi. Um, oh. And so as far as I know, you can't really pronounce it wrong because guaranteed there's somebody else that's going to be saying that. And so you're not alone. Okay, good to know. And how many varieties of mushrooms have you ever cultivated or are you currently cultivating? Oh, my culture library right now, I'm trying to visualize the inside of the cooler. Oh, probably a good uh, dozen and a half, 16 or 18 different varieties. I haven't necessarily cultivated all of them, but I have them in my repertoire. Um, I'm most proficient with a variety of different oyster mushrooms. Um, So in terms of actually growing them out and having them fruit, I've probably done about six or seven. Okay, that's fun. I love that you've got them lined up and waiting. Do you spend more time working on creating the spawn than you do cultivating them now? Yes, uh, because unfortunately, I, uh, well, even when I began this uh, enterprise, I guess you could call it, um, I uh, was living in a bachelor apartment and I've recently upgraded uh, to a one bedroom. And so this is very much a uh, sort of out of the kitchen operation. Um, And so I can't really grow them anywhere. And so I kind of have to live vicariously through others. And so I see myself less as an actual mushroom grower and more as a mycelium grower, I suppose, or a spawn producer. I'm sort of the instigator and provide other people with the means to grow mushrooms rather than growing them and selling them myself as mushrooms. We'd like to take a moment to thank our festival sponsors. The 2019 Fest is presented by Home Hardware Selkirk, where you can find much of what you'll need for your homesteading journey. 
For the inspiration and information to pair with those supplies, head over to New Society Publishers. Thanks also to Echo Canada, BCS America, and Noventus Credit Union. A big shout out also to the many volunteers, coordinators, and teachers who are working hard behind the scenes to make this fest the best yet. For more information on the DIY Homesteader Festival taking place August 10th and 11th at City Folk Farm in Manitoba, head to DIYFest on Instagram or homesteaderfest.ca where you can find the full workshop schedule and a link to purchase tickets. Now, I have a few questions from folks over on Instagram. Um, Bird and Bee Honey asked the best types of mushrooms for inoculating logs and where to place them in a backyard. All right. Very good questions. Oh, so logs. Um, Logs do best in probably dappled shade at the very most. They don't, uh, ideally, you don't want any direct sunlight. However, a little bit of uh, morning light is a whole lot better than evening light. And the reason for that is because the sun in the morning tends to be far less intense than that in the evening, just because it's had the whole day to heat up. And so it's not getting that like hot, hot, desiccating sort of uh, light that you get in the evenings versus the mornings, because there might be uh, dew present or moisture Um, left from overnight that's protecting them a little bit Um, but uh, yeah dappled shade at the very most Um, so like even the north side of a house the north side of a shed um, under like a big shady tree like obviously it's going to depend and be highly circumstantial with each individual person's situation and what they have exposure to Um, but yeah as a general rule yeah dappled shade to almost total shade is is preferable but uh, in regards to species um really you can grow a large variety of different species on logs you can grow uh multiple species of of oyster mushrooms like there's more varieties than i could possibly name of just oyster mushrooms that all that come in different (laughs) shapes and sizes um and colors there's shiitake mushrooms, there's lion's mane mushrooms, there's namiko mushrooms, there's enoki mushrooms, there's, um, did I mention shiitake already? I think I may have. You did. Um, I did, yes. Um, basically, there, there's a whole bunch. I know a lot of people might uh, be most familiar with growing shiitake mushrooms on logs, but you can grow a lot. Most species that are saprophytic um, and grow on dead and dying trees, twigs, branches in the wild can be cultivated to grow on those basic same materials in your backyard or, or in your woodlot. If anything, it's just uh, the limiting factor is if you can get someone that actually sells the um, the sawdust spawn that can be inoculated into the logs or the actual uh, myceliated, uh, they're like little wooden dowels. They're called sometimes called plugs um, that you can uh, drill a hole into the log tap those in and then paint over it with um, uh, some sort of uh, like sealant. Like a lot of people use uh, beeswax or soy wax works really well um, for that. Uh, just to seal in the moisture and protect from anything like uh, insects or weed fungi that might get in there and, and potentially compromise the, uh, the integrity of the inside of the log that your mushroom is feeding on. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different species that you can, that you can grow on logs. It's not just shiitake. Okay. And just to be sure that I don't give misinformation out at the end of the episode, uh, are you a good source for people here in Manitoba to get plugs or sawdust for inoculating logs? As of right now, I'm currently not producing. However, later this summer, um, hopefully July and August, I will have sawdust and grain spawn available. Next year, I'm going to uh, work as hard as I can over the winter to be able to have a full complement of different species and different spawn types available for people to start growing for the spring 2020 season. I'm in the middle of constructing a laminar flow hood, which will allow me to work under sterile conditions because of course I don't want to necessarily be giving away a product that I don't have complete and complete confidence in the purity of it and that it's going to be something that's going to work. Okay, wonderful. 
Now, a couple more quick questions. Fairfield Farm asked how to get started. And I'm thinking maybe we can expand that a little, the specificity of the question and say, would your recommendation for kind of what to start with differ for urban and rural settings? Okay. So basically the one thing that you need, the most important thing that you need for growing mushrooms is the mycelium. Um, and so that often comes in a form that's known as spawn, and that can be either a grain-based or sawdust-based spawn are the, uh, the most common uh, formats or materials for that to be grown on. And then second, you need, just like a plant needs soil, that mycelium is going to need a material to grow in. And that material is going to depend on the species that you're growing. Um, for oyster mushrooms, that could be uh, hardwood sawdust um, or straw, or um, some people will add uh, different materials to those ba- those two base substrates, like uh, spent grain from breweries or coffee grounds or wheat bran or rice hulls or soybean hulls or a variety of different nutritious amendments. Um, for a lot of different species that grow well and are perennial, like um, wine caps, uh, hardwood uh, wood chips or mulch is a very suitable substrate for that. Um, for other species like shiitake um, or um, lion's mane mushrooms, people will use logs. And those logs ideally should be very freshly cut. So maybe like a week, two, three weeks old before being inoculated. The main reason for that is that a log that has been sitting out for too long likely has already been colonized by native ambient fungi with the spores that are just present in the air. And so anything that you put into that is not as likely to succeed um, as if you were inoculating it into a log that was very recently alive and the tree's natural, let's say, immune system was fighting off any parasites, pathogens, fungal infections while that tree was alive. And so fresh cut wood is important. Um, And so, yeah, that's basically all you need is just the mushrooms themselves, the mycelium, the spawn, and then a material that you want to grow your mushrooms out of. And whether you're in the city or living rurally, the situation doesn't really differ that much, except for perhaps the the opportunity that rural people have if they have larger properties to necessarily grow more mushrooms just because the available space and the niches, the desirable environments that you have are more numerous than, for example, if you were in a city and only have like a teeny tiny yard versus if you live in the country and have several acres, for example, maybe some of that is is even woods or thicket that you could uh, that you could grow the, the mushrooms in. But even in the city, just being creative with the little uh, sort of um, um, yeah niches that you have in your yard, whether it's like I've said before, the shade on the north side of your house or a shed or a lean to. Um, or just even like uh, like wood chips underneath like a, a whole bunch of like fruit trees or large perennial plants is often uh, enough to cast sufficient shade as long as you're watering them enough to keep up that uh, that uh, moisture level um, is perfectly sufficient for growing a number of different species that that do grow in the wood mulch. And so there isn't a huge difference between the two other than the available space that you have to actually grow the mushrooms. Okay. The next question is from Smoz, and she asked, what is the first mushroom that you successfully ID'd in the wild, harvested, and ate? If you remember. Oh, yes. Yeah, this brings me way back, actually. Yeah, this is kind of nice. Oh, the first species that I ever identified in the wild was a species called the Dryad's Saddle also known as Mm. pheasant back mushroom. And this is a polypore mushroom, which differs from, um, I guess, what most people think of when they think of a mushroom. Um, For example, if you picture a portobello mushroom, when you look on the undersides, the gills are arranged um, 
sort of like concentrically like the spokes of a bicycle all radiating out from a central point while the while the uh, the um, sort of the fertile surface of polypores is more like a sponge like if you look at a sponge it's sort of like lots and lots of tightly packed teeny tiny tubes um, and those are f- a fairly distinctive and diverse group of, of mushrooms and the uh, the dryad saddle or uh, pheasant's back. Um, the upper surface is kind of a tawny light brown or like creamy kind of color. It, it varies a little bit, but there will be these sort of um, darker colored, like dark brown, chocolate brown, chestnut colored sort of like scales that uh, like not the sort of scales that flake off or anything. They're attached very firmly, but it gives it a very sort of like speckled appearance from from a distance. Um, And they're they're flat and shelf like. And yeah, the undersides of the cap are very fleshy, very juicy. There's a lot of like water in there. If you if you poke them, there's a lot of like moisture in there on the underside. And they're they're very pale on the underside. And, And those grow Um, From what I've observed, nearly exclusively on Manitoba maples. And I found uh, because there's a lot of Manitoba maples in uh, ravines and parks where I grew up in Hamilton, I would see them all throughout late May and into mid to late June starting to fruit on stumps and damaged and wounded branches and stuff from these trees. And so year after year, I saw them over and over and over again. And again, it was just repetitive observation. And one day, okay, I learned like, okay, that's what they're called. This is what they look like. And they're, they're very distinctive mushrooms. There isn't really a whole lot that fruits at the same time and looks like them. And they also have a very, uh, what's described as farinaceous odor, um, sort of what I can describe that as, as somewhere in between freshly cut cucumber, freshly cut wood, or a flowery kind of smell like, like wheat for like the, like cooking flour. Um, so it's a, it's a fairly bland, but fresh kind of smell. Some people liken it to watermelon rind. And so if you can kind of imagine the smell of when you're biting into the green part of a watermelon, that's kind of like what this mushroom smells like. Um, But yeah, if you look up that species, yeah, quite distinctive, very common, Um, not as common in Manitoba as it was in Ontario, but it's definitely still present here. And the young mushrooms, when they can be easily sliced through with a knife, can just be simply uh, cut up, sautéed, and eaten. Uh, some people uh, will pickle them. Um, they'll slice them up really thin and do like a simple, uh, like a vinegar or, uh, or a salt brine with some spices in there and uh, and preserve them. They're, but after all, after saying all of this, they're not necessarily my favorite wild edible mushroom because they're not particularly flavorful but in terms of actually being something that uh, is easy for people to identify and was my sort of uh, introduction to wild foraging it's a good one great and just for the sake of safety for listeners are there any non-edible lookalikes you mentioned there's not a lot of other mushrooms fruiting at this time when they're available but just to be sure yeah, for the dryad saddle or pheasant back, again, it's very distinctive. Um, it will only be growing on trees. Um, like I said, specifically, uh, like almost exclusively the Manitoba maples. Um, it's very drab. It's not very colorful. Um, it doesn't bruise a certain color like some species, uh, like some unrelated mushrooms do. A lot of terrestrial mushrooms will, uh, the flesh will oxidize and turn a certain color. Um, the spore print of this mushroom will be white and spore prints are very useful. Um, again, a lot of field guides when you're looking them up will, uh, will ask for spore print color. Um, certainly that is very useful for a number of different, uh, wild edible mushrooms. Uh, for example, um, 
Gallerina mushrooms are a poisonous lookalike to wild enoki mushrooms that grow on elm stumps. And they can be, um, for those that aren't too familiar with either of those species, the spore prints can be used to differentiate them because the gallerinas will be brown while the enokis will be a white or a light cream color. And so um, definitely getting in tune with looking at those different attributes of, uh, of mushrooms is definitely something that I'd recommend just as a general rule for mushroom foraging. Um, definitely, definitely familiarize yourself with the group uh, Amanitas um, because they mm-hmm. um, are widespread throughout North America, Europe and other places as well, I'm sure. And they have a number of fatally poisonous species, as well as just your old poisonous species. Um, And so definitely someone uh, that's thinking about foraging. um, As a rule, I would say learn your poisonous ones before you learn your edible ones. It's not worth the risk. Um, And of course, if you're not 100% certain, don't eat it. Use it yeah. as a learning tool, take pictures, bring it home, observe it, um, post pictures online, get second, third, fourth opinions. Um, you can never be too safe. Yeah. Agreed. Funny about the Amanitas, we have quite a few of them here on our farm. And uh, the place that we have found them is this little grove of forest it's just like an island of trees and we sort of said to the kids okay this is your spot and so they've called it Ewok Island and they have an obstacle course in it and they hang out in there and that is the only place where we see the red like the standard you know Instagram emoji or whatever that's the red Amanitas and I'm like how lovely that our children's forest (laughs) is peppered with these poisonous mushrooms (laughs) Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, the, that's the um, yeah the fly agaric, the Amanita muscaria. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it's yeah. That's very interesting that they sort of chose to appear there because that is a species that's rich with folklore, witchcraft, magic, mm-hmm. and and all of that. And so, if anything, it's appropriate, but also not because, of course, you don't want <laughs> any uh, let's say incidences happening with with them. Yeah. But uh, judging from what uh yeah from what i've seen and just how exposed your family is to nature i don't really think you have anything to worry about but they're a beautiful species um definitely yeah mm-hmm. fun to look at not to eat so that's for sure okay so you brought us a bit into the kitchen talking about how you prepared your pheasants back is that what it was called yes yes okay the last question from someone on instagram that i'll share is that we're mostly familiar with drying mushrooms as a way to preserve them. Do you have any recommendations for other methods of preservation? Mm, okay. So drying is definitely the most common just because a lot of species uh, preserve very well that way. One of the things that I did do actually is last fall, um, I didn't actually find these, but a friend of mine brought um, two uh, pretty handsome uh, giant puffball mushrooms back from um, mm. East Manitoba that they that they had uh, growing on just like their, their cottage property. Um, and what I ended up doing with those is I cooked them into like a pureed soup with uh, potatoes, leeks, and uh, a little bit of cream. And so like a very like simple, straightforward recipe, but I really wanted to let the, the, the puff ball sort of shine through. And it, I, so I didn't necessarily want to cover it up with a bunch of uh, other things or lots of spices or anything like that. But basically what I did with that is I... Uh, I made way more soup than I could possibly could have eaten in that uh, that uh, one week stretch. I probably would have been eating it for two and a half weeks if I tried. Is I basically pressure canned the soup um, in order to preserve it in that form. Um, and so that's an option is to create a food with the mushrooms and then preserve it. And so I know that like soup is a good example of that because it can be canned. Um, and so if you're familiar with like how to can food safely, or if you have like a pressure cooker or a pressure canner and you've done a few runs and, and sort of know what you're doing with that, then that's definitely an option. Um, 
this is a bit more species uh, specific, but I know, for example, uh, lobster mushrooms um, do preserve half decently if they are blanched and then frozen. Um, and so if you basically like cook them very lightly for like one or two minutes, and this can just be a very quick saute on one side, flip them over, saute on the other. Um, and then, yeah, just pack them into bags or containers where no air is going to get in and, and result in freezer burned mushrooms. Um, then, then I've had success storing them in that way. Um, some people will pickle mushrooms. Um, I know a lot of people do that mm. with the um, agaricus complex of species. And so, uh, for example, like the white button mushroom is agaricus bisporus. And so there are many wild varieties, um, or, or I guess I should say relatives of that species, like uh, agaricus campestris, the field or meadow mushroom, um, agaricus arvensis, or the horse mushroom, uh, very close relatives of the white button, and they have a firm enough texture that um, you can basically, yeah, just chop them up coarsely and you can pickle them. Um, in a vinegar or a, or a, uh, a mild salt brine with some spices. And so really it depends on the mushroom that you have. Drying is a good go-to when you're in doubt, um, just because, yeah, a lot of mushrooms preserve very well through drying, but there are alternatives if you are looking for something that isn't just enjoying mushrooms and having to rehydrate them from being dried. Mm-hmm. I'm sensing a whole other festival workshop here. Mushroom preservation, pickling, blanching and freezing and puring and drying. It could be a great workshop. So if, if I'm going to warn people about anything, it's that this is uh, something potentially highly addictive. And so approach <laughs> with caution. Uh, speaking of spreading the word and and getting people hooked. Uh, you're teaching two workshops at the festival in August. Can you tell us a bit about them? Sure. All right. Yeah, so the two workshops that I'm going to be teaching at the festival this year, uh, the first one um, will um, introduce you to how to grow a species called wine cap strafaria or wine cap mushrooms in hardwood wood chips or mulch in your backyard in a nice shady spot. These are a great, uh, tasty perennial mushroom um, that can be harvested year after year if they're taken care of properly and fed with additional applications of mulch. Um, and so we'll basically be going through the ins and outs of how to identify those species, how to take care of them, how to plant them, and we will actually be planting a site and a patch together. And so you'll be able to see directly what is involved with how to put it together, what sort of resources you need and the upkeep and uh, et cetera. The second workshop that I'm going to be facilitating is all about uh, oyster mushrooms. And I'll be talking about, uh, yeah, why oyster mushrooms are a really excellent choice for beginning mushroom cultivators and uh, the materials that they can be grown on, the, uh, the environment that they need, uh, the situation that would be best to, uh, to place them in for them to, to grow well, the types of containers that you could possibly grow them in. Um, for the purpose of the workshop, we're going to be uh, growing them in uh, pails, which is just one of many different, uh, yeah, containers um, that, that you can grow your oyster mushrooms in because they like to be contained within something rather than grown loose like the wine caps are, like in a loose sort of substrate. They like to be kind of held in with something and, and getting kind of cozy in there. And so um, I'll be showing you, uh, yeah, the different materials to grow them on um, and basically, yeah, how to, how to take care of them, timelines, uh, when to expect uh, flushes of mushrooms, how to prolong the harvest, how to get multiple yields off of them, how to propagate them and expand that mycelium to use them uh, quite a few times over. Um, it's, it's really great fun. It's a great, uh, it's a great beginner project, uh, growing the oyster mushrooms in pails. Um, and so if, if you're really new to mushroom growing and want something sort of uh, that doesn't really take up a whole lot of space and is fairly straightforward and uh, easy to do, then, yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, the oyster mushrooms. But the wine caps are also fairly, fairly good, too, if you want a, a perennial harvest. Wonderful. 
I'm pretty excited about those workshops and hopefully I'll be able to at least peek in on them during the festival weekend. Uh, aside from your own workshops, uh, which festival workshop topic are you most interested in? Oh, just anything that I haven't done yet. I, I'm a, I'm really, um, I'm really into trying new things, which is sort of the reason why I got involved with, uh, with, with mushroom <laughs> growing. Um, but anything that I can really do with, with my hands, um, like, uh, whether it's, um, like dyeing, um, or, um, yeah, just like different aspects of like, uh, of, um, of gardening and I love to cook and so preserving food as well. Um, there, there's so many different topics really, like I probably couldn't even choose, even if you forced me to, <laughs> um, as many, as many as I can get to really, where I'm not, uh, I don't have to be either preparing for a war- workshop or, or actively uh, teaching. I am really excited for the lineup this year. It looks really, really good. Mm-hmm. There's so many amazing people here in Manitoba with some pretty great skills to share. So we're blown away when we look at the schedule. We're just like, how did this happen? And yeah, just completely feel so lucky to be a part of this community. Well, we have you to thank for that, for allowing us to have this space where we can all come together and connect and learn from each other and share what we're passionate about. Um, cause yeah, there really isn't anything as far as I know that comes close to the sort of, uh, yeah, this sort of community and just this sort of event where so many like skilled and passionate and knowledgeable creators and crafters can come together and, and be able to not just teach the public, but to learn from each other too. And so this is a really, really great opportunity. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate your encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing a little research, I've seen that Paul Stamets, who you mentioned before, the author of Mycelial Running, is that correct? Mycelium, Mycelium Running, yes, with running. an M. Thank yes, you. yes. Okay, yes. So he has been quoted to say that mycelium can save the world. What do you think of this? And like, do you see mushroom cultivation as having a place in the regenerative agriculture movement? What's their role in it all? Oh, I see mushrooms as not necessarily being any more significant than, let's say, um, yeah, um, like ecological restoration, um, planting or working with like native species or restorative agriculture. I just see it as an integral part of that entire picture that hasn't really been investigated all that mm-hmm. much until fairly recently we're really on the cusp of sort of unlocking all of the hidden talents and secrets that the fungal kingdom has and certainly learning to grow mushrooms is a great way to um, sort of accelerate that learning process and learning to appreciate the way that mushrooms work and really to get those internal gears turning about how can I constructively use mushrooms to enhance my local ecology, my backyard, my food production, my community, the health of the environment. Um, and really this, this is a great question because it, it, it sort of um, goes really well with one of the things that I try to remember to remind people or encourage people um, when they come to my my programs and my workshops is that this isn't something that we've known about for a really long time. There are mycologists and seasoned scientists that are out there doing a lot of incredible, incredible work, but there's also people just like you and I, just garage researchers as uh, as we're sometimes called or, or DIY scientists where we can go out and experiment with mushrooms and and growing them and discover potentially revolutionary ways of ex- expanding the consciousness and expanding that uh, that sort of like network of resources that other people can then learn from like we can all learn 
to do things a little bit differently that might help somebody out that just never would have really thought of that perspective before. For instance, it wasn't, it hasn't always been common knowledge that oyster mushrooms grow in coffee grounds or that coffee grounds make a great amendment to substrates. Someone needed to figure that out. Someone just decided, oh, hey, I'm going to try this thing and I'm going to see what happens. And that's all there is to it. And now growing mushrooms partially in coffee grounds is something that even if you look at growing mushrooms for an hour in the evening, you're probably going to come across an article or someone that has done that. And so it's like now that's common knowledge. Well, before that was unheard of. You can potentially do something that no one has done before using whatever local resources you have and whatever skill level you have and just the materials that you have at your disposal. And we all can learn. And so it's not um, it's it's less of a hierarchy in terms of like expert mushroom people teaching beginners how to do things. That definitely has a place, but it's not the absolute. We have so much to learn from each other, from beginners, maybe seemingly doing something silly, but it turns (laughs) out that, oh, that was actually a brilliant move. And that makes like perfect sense. Um, And so, yeah, if anything, yeah, growing mushrooms, um, it, it just complements all of the ways that we can learn to restore and heal the environment and just learn more about why it's important and why we should all be stewards for environmental advocacy and preserving mm-hmm. what we have and creating more of those crucial habitats. Because ultimately, that's preserving our habitat. Our cities are not in exclusion to nature. These are manicured, human-made habitats, but it's still nature. We can't separate ourselves from that. And so everything, whether it's plants, whether it's birds, whether it's insects, whether it's mushrooms, they have skills and talents that we can learn from. And so it's in our best interest to explore all of the diversity that exists within the natural world and not just necessarily focus on one or two things that we think might be the ultimate solutions. We still have so much to learn. And so this is all part of us just coming to terms with what is out there and what we can use it for to help ourselves and nature. Mm, That's a really beautiful, beautiful thread there that is feeling like it's tied in right from the beginning when you were talking about just being a curious guy learning about the natural world and and now it's all wrapped up in how that can help us to solve problems in the world and how to create habitat and enhance our local ecology and thanks so much for just your beautiful perspective on permaculture and mycology and for coming to talk today oh you're very welcome the pleasure is all mine really like i said um Yeah, it's wonderful to have a place where I can come and talk about these things and have a receptive community that is going to not just listen to what I have to say, but actively participate in it. And I look forward to meeting and working with people that are just as passionate as I am about not just mycology and mushrooms, but just, um, yeah, the the DIY spirit, the homesteading (laughs) spirit, the nature lover, the hiker. Um, Yeah, just those that are interested and passionate about uh, getting in touch with the natural world and seeing how each and every one of us can contribute. Mm, That's great. We're really looking forward to seeing you in August. All right. Me too. Thank you very much. Ready to get mycelial? Keep up to date with Tom's workshops, Mushroom Magic and Spawn Sales over at rivercitymushrooms.ca. Find him on Facebook at River City Mushrooms and on Instagram at Nag Thompson. That's at N-A-G-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.